Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We continue in our series, The Call to Be Spiritual. We'll be, uh, we're going to handle this entire chapter this morning. So pray for, as, as I go, pray the, the Lord will help us. It's a lot of text and a lot of topics. Um, but we're going we're gonna to handle it together, chapter 7, verses 1 through 40. I've entitled this sermon, Stay Where You Are. As you're finding your place, I would just ask you a question this morning. I wonder if, um, like me, you've ever had somebody that you wanted to be a really close friend with but it just never materialized. Like you enjoy your time with this person and, and you maybe have the same sense of humor and uh, you get spiritual benefit from being with them, but for whatever reason, it just never happened. I've had that happen uh, a few times. I'm, I'm thinking of one particular fella as I'm preparing for this sermon and, and to share with you. Um, and the reason we never really became close friends was he was just too busy. There never seemed to be any time to develop a, a meaningful relationship. But so too, there never seemed to be any time for him to use his gifts to serve other people in the church either. And he was a pretty gifted man. Wasn't simply that he was too busy, it was that he was putting everything on hold, you see, until he had accomplished some goals that he had set. There was always this thing that he was chasing that if he would just accomplish that, then he'd be free. Maybe to be my friend, maybe to serve uh, others in church, but there was always this barrier, always this hurdle to clear. He wanted to change who he was or perhaps what he was like before he could get serious about serving the Lord and the Lord's church. He would say things like, oh, things are going to be different by this time next year. I'll have finished my degree by then, and then I'll be able to start, you know, really getting plugged in at church. Or once I get trained for this new position, I can focus on getting involved in that particular ministry that I've been wanting to get involved in. Or I'm working two jobs right now so I can pay off my cottage up north. Once I get that squared away, I'm really going to be able to give myself and my resources to the church. And we're tempted to do that, aren't we? We're tempted to sort of put eternal things, spiritual things on hold until we sort of get our ducks in a row um, in this world. We're tempted to do that. Think of ourselves as not ready to get serious about serving the Lord until some future point, until I get out of my current circumstances and into a better one. Once that happens, then I'll attend church more faithfully. Then I'll start giving sacrificially. Then I'll start getting involved in people's lives. Then I'll join a community group. Then I'll join the other ladies for prayer. Then I'll mentor, finally, a, a, a younger person. Then I'll start reading my Bible regularly, and you can go on and on. We can set these things on hold. We set these things on hold because we see our 
our current circumstance in need of change first. Once I get that raise, once I secure the promotion, once I finish school, once I get my house organized, once I retire, once I get my kids on a better sleep schedule, once they're older, and on and on, we can set these hurdles in front of us. Once I get to that place, I can really get serious about my faith. Once I move from here to there, I can devote myself to other people. The Corinthians had a lot of thoughts in this direction. Some thought, if I remain celibate, then I can be a spiritual person. We see a hint of that in verse 1. I'll, I'll address that in a, in a few minutes. Others thought, if I separate from this spouse that's dragging me down, then I can really be used of God. Still others thought, if I, if I became a Jew first, or, or if I can somehow be released from slavery, or if I could get, only get married, then I will be in a position to be a special somebody in church. Well, maybe, maybe I've struck a chord or two with you. If I, if I have, then listen in and see if any of the concerns in Corinth relate to things that you're thinking right now. Think about this question as I read this long text. Do I need to be somewhere else in my life before I can serve Christ? Okay, so let's, let's turn our attention to God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, buckle up, it's 40 verses. But this Word that we're reading, that we're devoting ourselves to, brings life. So pay careful attention. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. 
Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed uh, so then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives but if her husband dies she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord Yet in my judgment she is happier if she remains as she is and I think that I too have the spirit of God This is God's word a lot, isn't it? A lot of topics here. The text deals with a whole host of issues. It begins with this introduction in verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And when Paul deals with one matter after another, matters that seem to have little to do with each other at first blush, but as we consider the text as a whole, they are all arranged with absolute precision by the Spirit of God to convince you, I believe, of this truth. God called you where you are, so stay there. God called you where you are, so stay there. Now let's begin by examining that theme that I just put to you. And then we'll look at two different kinds of applications of it, as seen in all of these different circumstances the Corinthians had apparently asked Paul about in a letter. 
Okay, so we're going to look at the theme itself and kind of break that apart and make sure we understand what it is that, that, that this chapter is all about. And then secondly, we're going to move into applying it to all of these different cases. Okay, so looking at the theme and then looking at applying it to two different kinds of cases. So the theme again is this, God called you where you are, so stay there. Look at, look at in the middle of the text in verse 17 through 21, this is kind of the centerpiece of the chapter, and all of the examples and illustrations and situations sort of dance around it. Okay? Verse 17. Only let each man lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Well, don't try to reverse it. That's my paraphrase. It, it, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Don't try to change that. For neither circumcision, Paul writes, nor counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant or slave when called? Don't be concerned about it, and on it goes. So you get, the, you get the, the tone of this, right? Right in the center of the text. Stay where you are. Stay right there. Now this is going to require some nuance, some context for us to understand this completely. We, we saw the need for such discernment uh, last week in chapter 6. Remember we were looking at those sort of worldly slogans that the Corinthians were holding on to and we're like, look, we can't take one idea, lock, stock, and barrel. There has to be context. There has to be discernment. And the Corinthians had been quoting some, uh, another worldly saying here right at the beginning of our text. Did you see it there? Now concerning the matter about which you wrote, quote, it is good for a woman not to have sexual relations with a man, end quote, full stop, and that apparently was what some people were promoting across the board to married people, unmarried people, and everything. And so, as I said, looking at a statement like I've just put to you, what I think this whole chapter is about, requires, requires some nuance, requires looking at it, examining it, thinking through the caveats and the exceptions, and, and we need to do that here. But Paul helps us. I mean... You couldn't have listened to that text. You couldn't have read that text and thought, wow, there's a lot of little, you know, exceptions and, and, and situations that I have to understand completely. The principle Paul held out to the Corinthians was that God had called them to faith in a particular context, just as you and I were called to faith. We were in a place. We were in a setting, a life situation. Some were called to faith as a Jew, some as a Gentile, some as a slave, some as a child, an old man, a school teacher, an engineer, a divorced woman, a man engaged to be married, whatever. Everybody comes to faith in these different contexts. The Spirit gives them faith to follow Jesus in a particular life setting. He had created them as new creatures in Christ that didn't need to change their circumstances before they could serve him. Did you hear me? That's the case with every Christian. God makes you a new spiritual creature, and you don't have to change anything before serving him. Jesus Christ has done everything that is required for 
He did it for all the Corinthian believers to serve him and for all of us. Right where they were. Right where we were. Do you struggle with this? Are you someone that's always sort of thinking, man, if I could just achieve this thing, if I could just be a little different, then I could really get serious about the faith. I'd, I'd like to give myself fully to Jesus, but I've, I've got this, this work. I've got to work on myself first. I've, I've got to fulfill some goals first. I've got to get to that place first. Well, friends, don't burden yourself with such thinking. Don't erect these barriers to a satisfying Christian life. God called you where you are, so stay there. Serve him wherever you are and with whatever you have. I mean, keep in mind, God doesn't need you. Christ has done everything required so that you can attach yourself to him and his mission, right? And have this joy-filled, meaningful, uh, impactful life for Christ, and so don't burden yourself with these, with these, these, these things where you're, you're saying, I've got to do these other things first. I've got, to, I've got to be this kind of a woman before I can really serve in the church or, or what have you. Now, as I said, some nuance is required here. First of all, Paul's not talking about people staying in sinful lifestyles, right? Like stay right there in your sinful mess. That's not what Paul's saying. I mean, abandoning sin is the expected fruit of faith. In the last chapter, verse 6 and verse 18, gives us a, an example clear enough. Flee from sexual immorality. Well, that's a change, isn't it? So yes, don't stay in sin. Change that. Continue to repent and fight and uh, fight to be holy. The gospel empowers you to do that. But Paul's point is that you don't need to change anything about your life circumstances in order to live a God-honoring fulfilling Christian life. You don't have to become somebody else first. Now, that's not to say that there might not be some wisdom in changing things about your life circumstances. It might be wise to make some changes that would be beneficial or helpful to you in serving Christ. Notice that verse 21 goes on to say to the Christian slave, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But these are matters of wisdom. These aren't commandments here. God called you where you are, so stay there. But by all means, you're free to make choices and sacrifices along the way. But don't make them a barrier to serving Christ. So back to this main principle. God called you where you are. Think through this with me now. God called you where you are. Are so stay there. Look, consider that first play, that first part there. God called you where you are. Where were you when God called you? Were you young? Were you old? Were you married or single? Were you in a religious family? Were you in a family that didn't really do anything with religion? Did you have a lot of wealth or did you have very little? What part of the country or world were you in when God called you? God knew what you were, whatever your situation was. God knew your life circumstances, whatever it was, when he called you. 
In fact, he knew you and every detail of your circumstances. He knew it all before he even called you. Before you were even on anybody's radar that you were going to be a Christian. God knew everything about you. God knew your situation completely. You know, this was certainly the case in Corinth. I can take you right to the verse that tells, says that. When Paul was sharing the gospel in Corinth, this is in Acts 18, verse 9, God said as much to Paul. Listen now. There's no Christians in Corinth. Just the few converts of Paul. And he's there, and there's no church of Corinth yet. Right? We're reading the letter that goes to that church, to those eventual Christians, right? But before they all come to faith, God says this to Paul, um, Acts 18, verse 9, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. I have many in this city who are my people. What people? The people that I'm going to call through your gospel. Get out there and start speaking. Don't be afraid. Don't leave. Are you getting what I'm trying to get? Are you understanding what I'm, I'm trying to bring you to? Wherever you were when God called you, he already knew everything about you. He's the one that stitched your life together in that place. He made you in everything about you. He knows you completely from top to bottom. And, and, and when he called you then... He didn't, like, hand you a list of, like, you know, Ryan, you can really serve me if you first, you know, make all these changes, move to this place and, and, and get married and, and have this much money or whatever. There's no list like that. There's no barrier to serving Christ. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to radically change your life circumstances in order to serve him. God knew who you were and the Corinthians were. When the gospel call came, he knows each one completely how old they are, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, where their houses were, what their occupations were, what their life circumstances were. He called them in that particular setting. So what's the significance of this? Is this just some theological point that, like, who cares? Think about the significance of this. The important thing is not where you are when the Lord saves you, the thing of great import is that he called you unto salvation. That's the thing of great import. He has forgiven your sins. He's made you a spiritual person. And he's done so in, in, a, in a place, in a, in, a, in a circumstance that he wants redemptive work to be done in through you. Think about that. It didn't surprise God that, that you live in that place and have those friends and are married to that person and have that amount of resources and that job. None of that surprises God. That's part of that mission, where you're at in that circle of friends with those people. You're the ambassador for Christ there. God knew that going in. Just as, as God has glorious plans for your body, as we saw in chapter 6, God has glorious plans to use you in your particular life circumstances. He called you where you are and desires for you to serve him in that place among those people. Maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you've been wishing your life away. 
saying things like, if, I, if only I wasn't part of this family. If, if, if only I had a different job that required less of me. If only I had come to Christ before marrying this woman. If only I had children. If only. Friend, you are God's ambassador to your family, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, an ambassador to the people God has appointed to be around you, right there where you are. I used to tell the kids that they were God's secret agents to infiltrate their school with the gospel. That's what we all are. God called you where you are, so stay there. Let, let's, let's look at some examples that Paul uses that, sort of, that you know, surrounds this in the chapter. First, some circumstances require you to stay put and serve the Lord where you are, and that's just that's the general rule. The, and, and a lot of things sort of fall in this this, uh, 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 this category. Marriage, of course, is the prime example that Paul uses here. Paul gives marriage as a life circumstance that should generally be a permanent situation. If you're married, you should remain and serve the Lord where you were when he called you, married to that person. He deals with this in two parts. He first talks about Christians married to each other, and then he talks about a, an unequally yoked situation. There's one Christian and one non-Christian that's married. So let's take first marriage between Christians. It's dealt with initially there in verses 10 and 11. A believing wife was not to divorce her believing husband or vice versa. Now, we touched on this last week, but be reminded, friends, God has great purposes in the permanence of the marriage relationship. In chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul had quoted Genesis 2.24 to demonstrate that, that the two shall become one in this sort of permanent relationship. The continuous, faithful, intimate relationship between a man and his wife holds up a picture to the world. A picture of Christ's continuous, faithful, intimate relationship with his people. It displays the Lord's commitment to their good no matter what happens in this life. No matter what happens in this life, Christ's commitment remains steadfast to his people, and marriage pictures that. So there are, there are eternal purposes Profound opportunities to witness to lost people when Christian spouses stay together, serving the Lord where they are when God called them. There are lots and lots of people who don't know Jesus that are looking at Christian couples to, and, and seeing Jesus there. So remaining together, even when it's very difficult, is a profound, eternal witness to those people. Now, this is a complicated issue, as Jesus had taught that marital infidelity was an occasion in which a divorce was permissible. He said it twice in Matthew 5 and verse 32 and, and in Matthew 19 and verse 9. This is the very reason, by the way, that Paul keeps using this little phrase where he says, well, this is from the Lord, not me. And then on other, other occasions he says, not from the Lord, but from me. Did you see those little parenthetical remarks? When he says this is from the Lord, it's, he's not pitting himself against Jesus. He's saying Jesus has already spoken on this matter, as you well know. When he says, 
this is from me, Paul. He's not saying this isn't authoritative. He's saying this is the first time you're hearing truth applied to the situation from me, God's apostle. Okay? So, so keep that straight. Don't like sort of chuck the stuff that Paul says, this is from me. Okay? But as I said, it's a complicated issue. And Paul isn't writing all there is to write here about marriage and divorce. Okay? He's demonstrating this, this biblical principle that God knows where you were when he called you, so stay there. Serve him there. Paul adds the caveat that if a spouse is, spouse is unfaithful and a divorce is the result, he doesn't say all that, but he does say if separation does happen, you see that, even then there should be this, this posture, this willingness to reconcile, Right? Those who have been forgiven much are empowered to extend forgiveness the world knows nothing of. So even in a Christian marriage, if divorce were to happen, there should be this willingness, this posture, this this prayer that God would again reunite them. Who knows how God might use you in such circumstances? One of the most powerful witnesses of Christ's love to my high school friends came in this kind of a situation. A guy I went to high school with came to Christ years after high school and, and married, a, a, you know, married a, a, his friend, um, and then he came to Christ after they were married. She was unfaithful. In fact, became pregnant with the child of, of her, uh, uh, the person that she was unfaithful uh, with, and they divorced. And yet he continued to pray for her, witness to her, and she would later come to Christ. And they got remarried. And all my high school friends thought, this is lunacy. But it was this powerful witness to the world of what people who love Jesus can actually, how, he can, how they can actually serve him in their life circumstances, in the mess. Think about how God might use you in your circumstance, friends. A circumstance maybe that you're fighting really hard to get out of without cause. Of course, another holy and hugely practical benefit of staying married is in the spiritual war against sexual immorality, and the first part of the chapter deals with that. As I mentioned, verse 1 indicates that some were promoting sexual abstinence even within the, the marriage relationship. And Paul goes on in verses 2 through 5 to correct that error as he upholds one of the beautiful gifts of God in the marriage bed, a place of satisfaction and also a weapon against our body's lustful desires for sinful sex. He does say, there's no commandment here to do this, but he does say, if a couple desires to do so, to, to, for a very limited time, an agreement, refrain from sexual intimacy so that they can uh, uh, devote themselves to prayer, much like fasting, right? Uh, they can certainly do that, but they need to come together quickly so that Satan doesn't get a foothold there. And so there's a lot of beautiful purposes in remaining in your marriage and, and, and remaining in your marriage in the way that it was designed uh, to be. So married friends, the point is that God called you knowing where you were married to that spouse, so stay there and serve him. You never know what God will do through 
that witness. He also sometimes calls one spouse to faith while the other spouse is yet unbelieving. That happens too. Many Christians try to justify divorce by saying things like, well, there's no way that God wants me to you know, serve him and, and you know, have this ball and chain of an unbeliever that's just holding me back. Surely God wants me to go find a Christian spouse. Lots and lots and lots of people in the church have this, this uh, erroneous kind of argument for divorce. But God has redemptive purposes in Christians remaining in that kind of marriage also. We see that in verses 12 through 16. Obviously, an unbelieving spouse might not want to stay in a marriage once their spouse becomes a Christian. And if that happens, so be it. Nothing, nothing a Christian spouse can do. They can't you know, sort of hold them around the ankle and keep them, right? But for those who agree to stay, we're told, the believing spouse should remain and see it as God's mission for them. I mean, think of the access. You have friends that you want to come to Christ. How much time do you get with them? Ah, but a spouse... You're with them all the time. They can't get rid of you. You live with them. So, so day after day, deposit after deposit of grace, right? Peter speaks about, about the effect of a, of a believing wife on an unbelieving husband without even mentioning a word, just the way she countenances herself and carries herself and orders her life around the gospel. God has great redemptive purposes in this. A Christian brings holy influence to their unbelieving spouse and children, verse 14 tells us. That that does not mean that a believing wife makes her family a Christian. That's not what that means. It means it brings holy influence. There's great likelihood that the gospel will take root in other family members if there's a Christian there permanently every day representing God, speaking the truths of the Scriptures to them? Look at the hopeful question Paul poses in verse 16 there. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? God knows what your circumstances were when He called you. Do you have a spirit of complaint about your current circumstances? Are you wishing your life away, holding off on getting serious about serving the Lord until your situation changes? Friends, God wants you to serve him right there where you are. And he has great redemptive purposes for you right there in the circles that you already are living in. God called you where you are, brother. God called you where you are, sister. He knew your situation when he called you, so stay right there. Enjoy the mission that he has in front of you. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the general rule. That's the, that's the first way of applying this principle, right? Marriage is sort of that, that, that front-runner example. But, but there are situations where you are free to seek change, In doing so, you'll have to apply some godly wisdom, which Paul gives much of in this second sort of category of application. The first was stay where you are, 
stay where you are when you were called, but because there are exceptions to this general rule, now we turn to this second set of situations. And it's this. Sometimes God gives you freedom to change your situation along the way. Not in, a, not in this sense. Not like, I'm not going to really serve the Lord until I change. Not that way. You're already full bore, devoted to Christ, serving him, and a situation presents itself that's permissible. That's what we're talking about now. Sometimes God gives you freedom to change your situation along the way, along the way of serving him. The first example here is Paul's counsel that people who are single should stay single if possible, even if there was an expectation that they were going to get married. Look at verse 7. He just says it real plainly. I wish that all were as I myself am. That is, single. The apostle makes clear that it isn't a command. It makes this very plain. And he quickly qualifies this by saying God, gives, God gifts some with the desire and ability to remain single, while he gifts others the desire and opportunity to marry. So he's not saying like, hey, everybody should be single. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I wish everybody were. But nevertheless, God gives gifts of desire and opportunity in different ways to different people. The point is that sometimes God calls single people to Christ in their singleness in order that they might devote themselves wholly to gospel ministry. That happens. It happens in a way married people are not free to serve. And we're not going to get into all the detail, that he, but he gives lots and lots of reasons. Your interests are divided. Not in a bad way, but you have to care for your family. You have to protect your family. You have to, you, you have to, ha, you have, to have consideration for them. You can't just go on every mission trip that you want. Right? There's, there's going to be some anxiety. There's going to be some stress. There's going to be some trouble, if you will. Such people, single people, include people who are widowed, verse 39, or they're engaged but not yet married. That's later on in the text. But by his grace, God brings people into his church in many different life situations, but he knows each one, and he has plans for each one. It's important not to feel some kind of bullying here by Paul or, or, him shame, or, or like he's shaming somebody. Single people aren't better than married people in the church. They aren't holier. They aren't more loved by God or something like that. Paul isn't trying to pressure anyone into singlehood. But he does see an advantage that he doesn't want the church to ignore. Because God sometimes has beautiful purposes in singleness. And even as hard of a topic as it might be, we should consider it. And so he holds out the wisdom of such a choice. Look at verse 35 there. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. You see all the qualifications he's giving? But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what he wants. He wants the mission to go forward. And, and just because you're single doesn't mean you're out of the game. Sometimes God gives you a desire to remain single and a desire to, to, and, and freedom to serve him because you're single, in a way that you couldn't if you were married. Now, those who aren't yet married, 
don't use this verse as, you know, as a, uh, well, I can't find anybody, so I guess I'm called a singlehood. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a desire that he places in you to serve him and to serve him as a single person. God called you where you are, and if you're unmarried, if you're unmarried he may give you that desire. If you're still single, Christian friend, you should pray through some of Paul's reasons to examine if God wants you to stay where you are, that is, being single. For instance, we should all serve God with the realization that the time before Christ's return is short. He's coming very soon, friends. And the closer we get to the end, the more we will face opposition and hardships. That's something to consider when you think about changing your life circumstances. I mean, there's lots of references to it. Verse 26, the, the present, meaning the impending distress. The impending distress that's coming for the Christian church. Verse 29, the appointed time has grown short. Verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. Don't hold on to all the, all the experiences of this life. He gives you a big, long list of like, if you're, if you're married, you know, act like you're not married. If you're in business, act like you're not in business. That whole, that whole back and forth there is just for you to say, those are worldly pleasures. They're not going to last forever. So think about that. Think about that. This is in no way taking away the joy and beauty and picture of the gospel that's Christian marriage. These are just two different categories, friends. Don't pit them, don't pit them against each other. Don't pit them against, against each other. Taking care of a spouse, perhaps children, makes gospel ministry all the harder un, under uh, uh, difficult circumstances. Verses 32 through 35 talk about that. Having a family could even keep you from taking some risks for Christ that you might take if you were unmarried. It, it, it is right to not simply pursue marriage because that's what everyone does. Like going to college. God calls us to serve him in different ways, sometimes by remaining single. But this is a matter of wisdom, of discernment, of individual choice in serving God here. There's no restraint. There's no command. So feel the freedom in it. Paul just wants, every, Paul just wants the church to see all, all the sides. Remember, you're serving God, and along the way, sometimes there's an opportunity for a change to be made in your life. Consider these things. He's, he has to give you that desire to stay single and the ability to do so. And he doesn't give it to everyone. God called you where you are, so stay there. And that life circumstance might be to get married. Doing so is perfectly permissible. He says it at least twice in verse 28 and 36. It's certainly no sin to get married. After all, it reflects Christ's love for the church, as I've said. And it is a great blessing to have a spouse to be your co-laborer serving the king together. You might get married because you were already engaged and you have a strong desire to get married, and that's okay. Verse 36, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. You know, that was my situation. Not exactly. I've always wanted to be married my whole life. 
It was just like a foregone conclusion. I, I, I longed for the day when I would be married. My desire from the beginning of my Christian life was to serve God in a substantial way, but so too my desire has always been to have a wife and family, and Courtney has proven a faithful partner on Christ's mission with me. Whatever good and right desires a Christian has, whether to remain single or to marry, Paul reminds the Corinthians that all is fleeting, as I said, verses 29 through 31. Even the joys of marriage or the sorrows experienced on the Christian mission are temporary. They won't last. So we have to ask God for heavenly wisdom, for the ability to discern godly principles so that we ultimately store up treasures in heaven. God called you where you are, so stay there. You don't need to become someone else, friend. You don't have to change up your life in order to serve him. For your immediate circumstances are not apparent to the naked eye. Look at verse 22 there. For he who was called as a slave is, is actually free, is actually a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is actually a slave of Christ. So there's a greater reality than your current circumstances. And God has redemptive purposes in those circumstances, in you remaining where you are with the people whose lives you are already in, wherever you are. He has made you a new creature who wields, chapter 1 verse 18 says this, wherever you are, he's made you a new spiritual creature who wields this, the word of the cross, which is the power of God. Think about what how God could use you in your current circumstances if you would wield the gospel well. So the biblical principle is usually to stay right there where you are. But the Christian life isn't static either. Just like Paul sending his missionary friends to different places around the Mediterranean, right? God also presents us with opportunities to change our situation or choose something we never thought we would so we might serve him and others. Don't wish your life away. Serve God where you are with what you have. And when opportunities open up that are good and permissible and God puts a strong desire in you to serve him by making a change, feel the freedom to do that. Just don't jump too quick. Apply godly wisdom. Consider how it will affect your ability to serve Christ. Consider that the time is short. The end is near. Christ is coming soon. The main thing is that you were called to Christ. So rejoice and serve him where he has you today. Take a few moments of just quiet reflection over that, friends. Perhaps the Spirit is trying to convince you of some of these things.